Welcome to episode 78 of the United Pubcast. You're with Larry here. Tom's absent. Um, he does not have uh, the pandemic virus that he's going around, but we just thought we'd give him a night off. So in his place, we have Fox Sports reporter. I'd like to call him Fox Sports extraordinaire because I think he's done a magnificent job over the years and a well-known name in Australian football, Adam Peacock. How are you, mate? Good, Larry. Yourself? Yeah, hanging in there. Um, I'd like to get outside and... As someone who enjoys watching the game of football and playing the game of football, I'd like to get outside sooner rather than later, but yeah. under the circumstances, doing okay. How are you keeping yourself busy um, in the current situation? I've got four kids, so that's how I'm keeping myself busy. <laughs> oh, well, that's one way to do it. <laughs> those four. So, yeah, no, it's uh, it's been good. The, the day's kind of just, you, you don't know which day it is. It's pretty similar each day, but you try and mix it up and do a bit of exercise each day, go for a kick with my son or um, yeah, plan for four hours to what to cook dinner and all that. So, yeah, it's actually, it's it's okay at the moment. Obviously, we'd prefer to be doing what we regularly do um, because we all enjoy life and we, uh, well, the vast majority of us do anyway and we live in a beautiful part of the world. So, um, it would be nice to get back to that kind of normal soon. But in the meantime, you've just got to wear what we've, been given and um and get on with it 100 percent. well let's talk about some football um that is something that we all enjoy doing in one way or another so for those who don't know you are an avid newcastle united supporters fan um talk to us a little bit because most australians traditionally go for the what you'd call the big six why do you support newcastle united my dad he's a um he's a born and bred in newcastle um expatriate basically so he moved out here in 1969 but um yeah uh, he was he was born uh at the start of the second world war in newcastle and lived there for most of his early life and then moved to london and then moved out here to australia but uh he's he stayed true and he's still a newcastle fan and he passed that on to me and i got hooked in as well i think mainly because probably when i was making a decision about definitely who to go for that's when newcastle bounced back into the premier league under Kevin Keegan. So um, when you're removed from it, when you're not going to the games each and every week, I think it's a lot harder to definitively fall in love with the club um, unless there is some some kind of connection there. And if there's no kind of connection, you just make your own mind up and generally you t- choose a successful team. So um, I think my dad was, was hopeful that I'd always fall into Newcastle and eventually I did. Well, that's a more true reason and definitely one that's not made up. So for all those Manchester City prior to 2008 fans, that is true <laughs> football fanship right there. <laughs> so Adam, I want to talk to you. Well, what's the most interesting thing going around um, with what minimal football news we have is the acquired purchase of Newcastle United. So as it currently stands, the public investment funds um, of Saudi Arabia are aiming to acquire 80% ownership of Newcastle United. Now, for those who don't know, uh, the public investment fund headed by Mohammed bin Salman, if I've got his name right, is worth an eye-watering 320 billion US dollars. That is an insane amount of money. Um, now, where it stands at the moment, from what I've seen, is reports are suggesting that uh, government officials are asking the uh, UK government um, to, or some supporters groups rather, such as uh, Square Project, I believe they're called. So they're now the second group lobbying around the UK government to ask the Premier League to disqualify this deal going through. 
Hmm. I guess I want to ask you, what are your thoughts on, I guess without getting into the politics too hard, what are your thoughts on the acquisition of the of Saudi Arabia, essentially, of Newcastle? Yeah, you, you kind of do have to get into the politics of it because it is a decision that is not based on politics, but it's an element of it. I... I did an article on Fox Sports last week and obviously people agreed or disagreed or, or whatever, but I didn't really mind. It was it was kind of my own conclusion that it's not my fault or Newcastle fans' fault that Saudi Arabia, the investment fund, and what it may or may not stand for has come in and wants to buy the club. So we're stuck in the middle. So what do I, if Saudi Arabia, and I have nothing to do with the decision-making process, do do I then step away from my love of Newcastle United because of who owns the club? Now, I will say in the last couple of years, my patience has been severely tested by the current owner and and what he stands for the club. But it's still, I still want to get up and watch Newcastle when I can. And when I can't, the first thing that I do when I wake up, if they've played when I've been asleep, is check my phone the number of times I've rolled over in the last couple of years at 3am just by virtue of something inside me telling me to, to wake up and, and check a score or whatever, and I have and been disappointed, I've, I've, I've lost count. But the, the truth of the matter is that as Newcastle fans, we don't have a say in what's going on. So what we think of it, does it really matter? Probably not. I think maybe you could argue a case that this is going to not sit well with a lot of people, and I completely understand that. But for me personally, I like to um, put it in context of what, then what is Saudi Arabia then? What what do they stand for? Yes, there's been some horrible things reported and um, have actually happened in the last couple of years in particular. But the fact is every single government in the world deals with Saudi Arabia in a trade agreement. So that's one thing. Second thing is that if you're going to say no to Newcastle, to, well, why didn't they say no to Uber allowed to have five percent ownership of saudi arabia does does anyone out there ride an uber and still have a problem with saudi arabia well that to me is being slightly hypocritical so that, there are a couple of things that uh, to take into account i know it sounds very convenient from a newcastle fans point of view that i'm saying these things leading to me me to say that yeah why not let them take over but i mean there's precedent there there's there's precedent in other walks of life as well um i just don't see why newcastle fans should be copying a bit of grief for this um, and pay, and personally I'm paying no attention to it but it's up to the Premier League and their rules and if they want to run their competition this way well they can't turn around now and say that Saudi Arabia investment should be allowed it, it, it simply does not stack up Look I 100% agree with you and to your point as a fan you just turn up and you watch your team play and especially for us here we sacrifice very special, uh, precious hours of sleep to support our team. So definitely agree. And we've had this debate uh, with United fans of... So a lot of United fans don't like the ownership of the Glazers. Um, now, from a, perhaps from a Newcastle perspective, when you look at, say, a Mike Ashley, you'd think, how could we not like the Glazers? And we've had this debate of if Saudi Arabia were to purchase Manchester United as the links um, maybe three months ago or so were suggesting, would we have an issue? And ultimately, and we had this chat with Simon Hill when we had him on, your job is to support as a fan. So personally, I don't have an issue and it, it brings money into the game. Um, and whether they acquire Newcastle, Manchester United or another club, what happens in Saudi Arabia is not really going to change too much, is it? 
Um, no. Well, if anything, and, and I, I look at it this way, if anything, if anything's going to happen out of this and if they do take over, well, that then puts them, and they know this as well, that mm-hmm. they're even more so in the light about some of their practices. And you can't tell a country what to do within the confines of its own border, but its behaviour internationally should come under some scrutiny and certainly has, especially in the last 24 months. And that should only continue, especially if they've got standards to uphold of being um, owners of a football club like Newcastle United. And I'm sure, and I'm, I'll be one of them as well, that I'd be hopeful that they do smarten up a little bit in that regard going forward. But in saying that, we're just part of the 99.9% of the world. It just goes along with what the 0.01% of the world decides for us. And Saudi Arabia Investment Fund is probably in that 0.01%. Look, absolutely. So let's look more on the football operational side. So we've heard some reports uh, that have suggested that Newcastle are now looking at introducing basically an overhaul of their footballing department, looking to bring in a director of football, maybe not with that exact title, but someone who operates in that way. Um, Steve Bruce apparently meant to remain as manager, at least initially. Just want to know, as a fan, what are your expectations of both the short-term and the medium-term expectations? So maybe perhaps your expectations of next season, but then what are your expectations within two to three years? I think the, the pattern can pretty much follow what your friends um, across town in blue did post-2008. Um, yeah, I, I think that it's not going to be an immediate challenge for the title, but I think certainly if and they have to get things right from the start. And I don't think Manchester City, when they got taken over by the Abu, Abu Dhabi group, did get things right completely from the start. But eventually, they got their, you know, what together. So I think it'll take a little bit of time. But um, short term, I think there'll be an improvement. And then I, I'd be astonished if everything goes to plan and the takeover goes through and they bring in... I, I think Steve Bruce is a sitting duck, personally. I don't think he's got long... If uh, to survive, if if the new owners come in, I'd expect challenging for Champions League football within three years at the very least. Do you not think that financial fair play might impact that? I mean, I don't want to touch on COVID nineteen and the whole pandemic too much. I mean, we're expecting that the FFP might actually get loosened, but it's funny actually with City that they're kind of making hypocrites of themselves. They're the ones advocating for one of the clubs for financial fair play to remain tight, and because I don't believe it was in place uh, as strongly at least when they initially took over. So, is it a case of with financial fair play? Do you still expect Newcastle within three years to make it that high? I'm just, I'm not sure if they can do it just under the current format of FFP. Yeah, they've got a. They've got a chance of being able to invest pretty heavily, pretty quickly because it's it's based on revenue. So yeah. uh, I'd be amazed if there's not a stadium upgrade very, very quickly to go from 50 to 70. Uh, I'd be amazed if sponsorship doesn't go through the roof because of the contacts that Saudi Arabia has around the world. Wouldn't be surprised if we have a little Uber advertisement on the front of our shirt or, <laughs> so, or something like that. But in all seriousness, we'll, we'll be heavily invested um, from a sponsorship point of view. Because the people taking over will know exactly that, that they can't just go in and spend $600 million and make $100 million. That won't fly, they won't be allowed, and that's fair enough, uh, even though they can afford it. But um, I, I think that the revenue streams will skyrocket. 
and that in turn will allow us to buy a better calibre of player. And does the market market somewhat depress in the next couple of years in terms of player um, fees, agent fees, all those things that that go in in a in a recession and then some parts depression financially? Does that mean that we can go after more players for lesser price but the same quality? So we'll, we'll wait and see with that one, but. I've got no doubt there'll be heavily investment investment straight away and they'll be taking that investment right up to the threshold of what they're allowed under the financial fair, fair play, whatever the hell that is anymore. <laughs> well, we've started on a somewhat serious conversation around how this will all pan out for Newcastle, but let's lighten it up a little bit. For Manchester City, their first star signing, if you like, was Robinho. There was a lot of anticipation that once they got that deal done, it'll open the gates for other signings. And so it seemed, you know, we saw Tevez, Yaya Torre, David Silva, etc. If you could name one player, however, let's be realistic, so don't be saying Mbappe at me, but um, <laughs> if you could say one one big name signing for Newcastle to make next season, who do you bring in? Cristiano Ronaldo. Now that, that would definitely be a snake. <laughs> Andy Carroll replaced for Cristiano Ronaldo. I like that. Now, it, it, we'll, we'll see what happens with that one. But like, um, yeah. that's only based on the fact that apparently it's not all working out together with him and Juventus, apparently. But these things can be complete lies from time to time. So, yeah, I just threw that one threw that one at you with the full knowledge that he's a former United player. <laughs> hey, mate, it's all black and white. I'm sure he won't mind. Um Let's look back in history now. I mean, what we'd love to do when we get guests such as yourself is just look back at history at the end of the day, unless you're a Manchester City fan, I'm sorry. But <laughs> for us who, who appreciate history, that's what makes us so passionate about our teams. Newcastle and United and Manchester United have a quite a detailed history, really. Lots of great games. Um, of course, there's the famous uh, Kevin Keegan rant, which I personally love. Just want to ask you: Do you have a first and perhaps a best memory uh, between Newcastle and Manchester United? Five nil, St James's Park. <laughs> I, I didn't expect any other response. <laughs> Mid nineties, and I, I didn't expect you to expect me to have anything different either. So, no, that that was special. But that that encapsulated what the nineties and that era was for Newcastle United. It was. It was a night of brilliance. It really stood out. People still talk about it today. But the fact of the matter is, a club like Manchester United won how many titles in and around that, and how many titles did Newcastle United win? None. So we should have we should have at least won one in those two seasons, but um, didn't happen um, for one reason or another. But it's 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 happy in a way that I can recall something like that. But in a in another respect, it's it's pretty sad that I can remember it. And uh, other ones stand out from. Uh, the, the flip side point of view, um, when we, I think it was 6-2 one day at St. James's Park when we were going all right at the time and you guys just blitzed us, just murdered us. So uh, my wife um, and her side of the family, they're from Hyde in Manchester and um, my wife was born and bred here but her dad's from over there and all their, their family's over there and they're all Reds and um, I got them tickets to a Newcastle-Manchester United game when... Um, she travelled over there with her dad nearly two decades ago and she um, she ended up watching another destruction. I think you got us 3-0 that night. And, yeah, so you can you can count on one hand how many great nights Newcastle's had against Manchester United. Um, the one last season was pretty special as well, but 
Um, yeah, it's few and far between, unfortunately. So that five nil definitely stands out. Yeah, no doubt. <laughs> the one, uh, I think, was it this season or last season? I remember as United fans, the banter was because we were linked with uh, Sean Longster. And um, his younger brother was playing, and I believe he won 2 0. And we called him a budget long stuff. So it was quite funny to see budget long stuff us going <laughs> a famous 2 0 win. Uh, little Matty. Uh, <laughs> yeah, he actually looks a, a good, brilliant little player. But uh, I just wanted to see, like, I mean, for myself, um, there was the Newcastle, a Newcastle victory, surprisingly, sticks out in my mind. Uh, 2001, I was quite young myself, but uh, you beat us 3 1 that day. But I just remember Roy Keane warning Alan Shearer's head on a stick. That, um, the, the one at the end there, yeah. Um, yeah. That was great. I love that. They still sing about Roy Keane, Newcastle fans, being shit scared of Shearer. So, yeah, it's good. <laughs> I mean, look, that is a USC sure many would pay to watch. Um, for myself, though, uh, and I, I'm not sure if you would recall this, but there was a game where, I believe it was 2006, uh, Rooney was having an absolute stinker. And it was actually quite a bludger of a game to be honest and he was abusing the referee and then it, almost in anger he's about to get hooked off and then the ball just falls to him and then he just rockets an absolute i think it was like a 30 yard volley straight into the back of the net keeper didn't have a hope um for me one of the best goals i think i've ever seen from wayne rooney and probably ever <laughs> sounds familiar <laughs> but uh, i digress um i want to ask you let's look at the um well, actually, before I look, go to the current season, um, obviously in your role, you get to interact with a lot of players. Um, and previously, when Fox was uh, with the Premier League, got to speak to the guys overseas. Did you have any interactions with uh, United or even players um, that are quite memorable that you want to share with us? Newcastle United or Manchester? <laughs> either, either. <laughs> um, well, Newcastle United, obviously getting to know um, Stephen Taylor in, in the A-League a bit and he, he keeps me up to date with actually what's going on back in Newcastle with the side and the club and uh, now the, the conversations are a little brighter than they have been in the last couple of years but um, Manchester United, uh, Paul Parker, he came and worked with us for um, a little bit there. Um, he had some, he, and he was a rampant Manchester United fan still Um and who else do have we worked with uh, with the United Link? Just mainly some of the players that have come to the A-League. I've got a story about Manchester United. It revolves around when they came out here after Fergie retired and, and David Moyes took over. And um, Moyes... And th- this is when I kind of realised that this guy is going to fall on his face because of some of the stupid decisions he was making with some inane details around the pre-season tour of Australia. So but they were coming out here, big tour announced, and it was done before Moyes even joined. Um, and they were going to have this massive reception on the steps of the Opera House for all the fans to come and see, set up a Nike pitch, lucky winners could go and meet some of the players and all that. You know, one of those sponsored things that lasts about an hour, an hour and a half. Anyway, it was all lined up, all booked, all everything, all paid for. And then Moyes, when he got to Sydney, saw the itinerary and said, no, I, that's not going to happen because I need the boys focused on training afternoon, uh, morning and afternoon. Now, it had all got cleared by Fergie all those months ago before it had got booked in. But Moyes was doing that a lot, I was told. So this was just one example. But he was 
making sure that he was doing things his way so he didn't seem like the exact replica of Sir Alex Ferguson. Now, that told me that that is plainly not smart because Sir Alex Ferguson, yes, he was his own man and, yes, he had his ways of doing things, but how successful were they? So you've gone from basically the same squad year to year but just different manager and he just tipped everything on its head and I think the results started to show as well because those little things do get through to a player and and the, the new boss trying to infiltrate the minds of the players about he's the, the guy and I'm going to do it this way, whatever. There should have been, yeah, have your own ideas, but a little bit less of a huge transition between one man and the other just because one the new guy wanted to show that he was the man beating his chest type thing. So that, that little story stood out to me that it, it kind of was going to go a bit pear-shaped for Manchester United. I didn't think we'd be still sitting here thinking... Um, when the hell the next time they're going to win a title is. It's it's just surreal what's happened to the club. Yeah, I mean, oh, we could do a podcast on David Moyes and his tenure at United, to be honest. But you telling that story is really good insight. Um, and thanks for sharing that, because I think his biggest fall was he was trying to bring his Everton, or the way he operated at Everton, to Manchester United. And like, look, it is a huge club, whether you're a Newcastle fan, a Liverpool fan, or whatever team you support, to not acknowledge that and to not operate as such. And to give back to them, to just die to meet these players. Um, me and Tom have spoken about this on countless occasions, and I'm sure fan. for us as fans to meet players, it's the biggest. For us, it's huge. We're all proud. And like if you got to meet Alan Shearer, I'm sure you'd be buzzing for it. So yeah. for a player to take out two minutes of, of his day to take a photo, it doesn't really mean to them. So for a manager to not, not, not recognise that, I think that's the biggest disappointment. But I want to um, move on to this season. So as it currently stands, the Bundesliga apparently is due to return um, on mm. the 9th of May. So I'll be keen to see how that goes. But um, reports suggest that the Premier League's not too far behind. They've currently penciled in a June 8th um, start. I just want to see from, from your perspective, obviously, we don't know what's happening with the A-League as yet, but... Um, are you happy with a June 8th start? Are you happy with the stance of, you know, we need to complete the season? Yeah, I think it'll be fair to complete the season if they can and then just bump next season back a little bit um, and maybe maybe do away with a League Cup next year so you could play extra fixtures midweek to, to make up that gap. Um, and the Charity Shield, unfortunately, goes, but maybe the opening round of the, the Premier League becomes the Charity Shield and they raise a hell of a lot of money for a lot, a lot of great causes over there. That remains to be seen, but... Yeah, I think they've got to get it every go. Well, they're nine game, nine or eight games. Most teams between eight and ten games left for most teams. Um, I can't see any reason why they can't get that done in six weeks if everyone's fine and they they um, go into lockdown properly. I, I think there's too much at stake for there not to be a conclusion to the season. Now that yeah. being said, if there's if they're still in the middle of June, a thousand people a day dying and in England, well, fair enough, don't have it. But if there's a glimmer, there's a hope, there's a chance, hopefully they can make it happen. Yeah, 100%. As it currently stands, most sides have played 29 games, so they're nearly there. Most teams have got around uh, 11 games to go, so it's we've got to finish it. I'm sure as much as um, I'd love to see Liverpool not get the title, um, I think it just it's important to get it done. I mean, for European spots as well, and... Like the clubs will need the money ultimately, but let's talk about Newcastle. Um, even this season, because if I'm being honest, 
I thought you guys were going down. I thought you were definitely going to be in a relegation scrap. And <laughs> to be honest, but you, you like you were mentioning that like you don't ex- you, you expect Steve Bruce to be gone with the new ownership, but I think he's done a pretty good job, especially how quickly Rafael Benitez left, and there was all this conundrum around Mike Ashley's ownership, and there was no money for any purchases. Don't you think he's done a pretty good job to get you where you are at the moment? Yeah, he's they. They operate in spite of themselves, um, Newcastle. The way that they play is just not very palatable on the eye. It's it's some of the some of the footballs just plain disgusting. But <laughs> it's, they've been able to get these series of results, and it's it's been a happy surprise. Now, I, I think he's got the absolute most of what he has, Bruce, um, and things like the way that the football club is run behind the scenes away from the football it, it's championship level stuff everything that i've been told so yeah that they're punching above their weight and what are we only five are we five points off you or five points off arsenal um that said we're only eight points off the drop zone so it's we're not absolutely certain to to be clear now but there's a lot of traffic behind us to be in that drop zone so um yeah I, i've been pleasantly surprised at the results this year i haven't been overly enamored with the football but let's not get too picky when you're trying to stay in the Premier League. And that was the aim at the start of the season. I think uh, the goalposts changed significantly, though, when um, when and if the new owners come in. Well, yeah. I mean, look, you're, you're five points away from but I think they're uh, I think they're a small club as well. So um, that's fine. <laughs> but um, I want to <laughs> ask you, um, just as a fan, to be honest, um, what are your thoughts on St. Maximin? Because in my opinion, this play... Do you remember Nani for Manchester United? I feel like they're yeah. cut from the same club. Just they've got moments of absolute brilliance in them. The potential to be world-class, but then they've just got an absolute brain fart. Um, what, what's your opinion on him as a player? And do you think that he's someone who could perhaps with an investment and better players around him, could see his game go to a new level. Yeah, definitely. Absolutely. The the the, the basis of a, an unbelievably exciting footballer is there. And, and you're right. Yeah, he does some incredible things and then he'll drift out and then you won't see him and then bang, he's, he's good. He's good in the style that we like to play and that's basically sit back, soak up, try and break. Because when, you, when you're getting one-on-one with a defender and heavily exposed, i.e., no one within 20 metres of that defender when he's one-on-one. Well, nine times out of ten, he's he's going to skin the guy and make him look stupid. So um, whether that works with a different style of football remains to be seen. But, yeah, he's good to watch and he's been a, a shining light for us this season. And if it doesn't work out for him there, well, he's in the, the happy, comfortable position now that he can basically guarantee himself a Premier League contract for the next seven years and it's going to set him up for life. So... Good on him. Um, it's good to see, and hopefully it's in a Newcastle shirt. Yeah, definitely one for the future. A wonderful talent to watch. As a as a neutral, I love watching him play. Absolutely brilliant. And obviously, I just want to get your opinion on United. I couldn't let you get through without switching to Manchester, but... What do you make of the way uh, the way the season stands at the moment? United have been inconsistent themselves, obviously lost to sides who they probably should have beaten. Newcastle, obviously, we've touched on. But we've seen Bruno Fernandes come in, um, Odia Nogalo in January, and that seems to have completely lifted the club. They were on a wonderful run of form, really look like they're pushing for that top four spot. So with the season due to come back, what's your opinion as a neutral on United? And do you expect them to get that top four spot? Well, the, the whole dynamic changed 
when Bruno Fernandes came in and had the impact that United fans expect a big money transfer to have. But in the past couple of years, those big money transfers haven't had that kind of impact. So, yeah, he's. I've only seen him in highlights. I haven't seen him play a full game for United yet, but just, just some of the stuff he can do is is spectacularly good and as as good as anything else in the league. So if if he, presuming he stays for a while and they can build things around him and just add here and there that they're not far off, you know. The Agalo one, I, I was surprised that there was so much eye rolling going on about it because yeah, they signed him from China, but you go back and he only went to China for the money. He didn't go there because he'd lost form. He, he basically went there to, to take a fill-up. Now, it can happen when you go to China that your form drops and the standard of football is not as good as the Premier League. Um, there's no surprise about that. But the fact that he, he had scored goals in the Premier League before he went and then he came back. Um, I've, I've seen Paulinho go from Guangzhou Evergrande, from Spurs to Guangzhou Evergrande to Barcelona back to Guangzhou Evergrande and Barcelona he was one of their best players that season so it can be done not, I'm not surprised at all that Agalo has come in and, and had a positive impact despite all the moaning that's going on because let's face it Lukaku it, it just wasn't working some of the some of the things that he was doing in front of goal it, it wasn't befitting of a person worth 90 million pounds and Marcus Rashford I still maintain to this day he is not an out and out striker because you watch some of his movements I'm talking Ian Wright type around the six-yard box, knowing where to be, Andy Cole-like, if you want to put it in the United sense, that he doesn't know the runs, the instinct to have. And that's through no fault of his own. He just doesn't have it. It it might come along, but he's not an out-and-out number nine. I'll guarantee that. He needs to play alongside another striker or or a bit wider or or maybe in behind. But um, now that they've found that part of the puzzle so far, they might add to it over the off-season things are looking brighter than they were six months ago for United. I agree with everything you've said. Uh, Rashford himself has, doesn't see, him, see himself as an out-and-out number nine. Um, he's been playing wide left, and to be honest, the season he was having prior to his injury, it was borderline world-class form. Uh, I believe he was on 19 goals, should have been 20. Um, but yeah, he's been unreal playing on the left-hand side, and I think Martial through the middle is really starting to find his own there. But, uh, so Adam, what we do on this podcast to finish up when we have a special guest such as yourself, we like to do a thing called the fire round question. So I'm just going to ask you some quick questions and it's just one word answers. But if you want to elaborate, because we're in the spirit of being nice and giving, please don't <laughs> hesitate to do so. Righto. So looking ahead of next season, uh, who are your biggest improvers in the Premier League for 2021? <laughs> what do you reckon I'm going to say? When... My club gets taken over by the richest bunch of people in the world. Who do you reckon? <laughs> you I, don't know, I, was, I, was think, I was thinking maybe Bournemouth. But... <laughs> I'm not going to say Watford, am I? <laughs> <laughs> no, that's a fair call. Newcastle's a good shout. Um, what's your funniest experience uh, in your role? So funniest experience you've had on the job with Fox Sports? Some of the stuff that Robbie Slater comes out with towards Bozza is hilarious behind the scenes. That's all I'll say, but it is. And the stuff that Bozza comes back again at Robbie is funny. Um, everyone has their opinion about Robbie, but he's a, he's a funny human being behind the scenes. And, um, yeah. It, some of the, some of the times I've spent with those two in that green room watching football games, oh, it's hilarious. Just hilarious. It's, it's dressing room. It's dressing room chat, but it's funny. Yeah. 
We do allow explicits on this podcast, so please, if there's a little glimpse that you want to share with us, open floor. <laughs> oh, um, the day that Bozza came on, came in with a new new hairstyle was pretty funny. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'll just leave it at that. <laughs> no, good man, Boz. We've had him on this podcast. He is he's a good bloke. Oh, he's a ripper, um, yeah. All right, so I need you to not try to be biased here, but if your answer is what I think it'll be, I will accept it. Who was the better player, Alan Shearer or Wayne Rooney? Um, I'll, I'll have to say, as much as this is going to surprise you, I'm going to say Rooney because he won things. So Shearer did win a Premier League, but... Football's about winning, and Wayne Rooney did a hell of a lot of it through his career. Yeah, that's valid. I mean, if I'm being honest, I think Shearer's definitely in the top three strikers the Premier League's ever seen, no doubt. And there was a period there. He was, no doubt, one of the best strikers in all of Europe. He was unreal, and his goal tally speaks for itself. I believe 262 goals or something ridiculous. Still holds the Premier League record. I think Rooney almost was a detriment to himself. He sacrificed for the team. People want to say he was self, whatever else. But for me, he played a lot on the left, particularly when Ronaldo was there and they were winning the Champions League. He played in behind the striker a lot. So very well-rounded player was Rooney and in many respects, very underrated. So this one's a bit of a controversial question, but I'll let, allow you to answer it. Um, which Arab nation wins the Champions League first? So we've got <laughs> Paris Saint-Germain, who are obviously Qatar, dying to win yeah. it. Uh, we've got Manchester City, who have no doubt about it, are dying to win it and look like they could get a ban, so we'll see what happens. But then there's, of course, your mob, Newcastle. Who's winning the Champions League first? Uh, I think Abu Dhabi. Yeah, we I think, think Manchester City. You think City's going to get there? I think even with the I, pending ban. Yeah, I think they'll win it this year, actually, <laughs> oh, provided we get done. Um, yeah. But I, they were my they were my tip for, to to win it because I think they worked out pretty early on that they weren't going to be beating Liverpool league. So, um, gee, it's a rough year for you if that happens, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Oh, I think I'll go in hiding. I mean, so we almost are in hiding, aren't we? Yeah, um, I'm doing it anyway. Yeah. <laughs> All right, here's a funny one for you. Uh, who's winning the title first, uh, Newcastle United or Manchester United? Oh, <laughs> uh, good question. Uh, if you're framing a market, you'd probably say Manchester United $1.60, Newcastle United two twenty, two twenty-five. Uh, but let's wait. The, the only thing that will stop that, the only thing that will stop that is financial fair play. If... Manchester United can somehow win one in the next four or five years because by that, if by the time that window ends, I think we're as good a chance as anyone in the league to start winning titles. All right, so um, I'm getting, I'm getting. You want to giving your own club some praise? So, uh, definitive answer: We're saying United, Manchester United. <laughs> can I just say United? No. Uh, <laughs> yeah, Manchester United, just by virtue of the fact that they have a a bit of a history of winning things and we seem to have a big problem with it and hopefully we can get over that little hurdle and then start winning things for fun. All right. If you could have dinner with one player, who would it be and why? One player? Paul Gascoigne. Because... uh, But Paul Gascoigne in the 80s when he was playing for Newcastle. 
because then I could warn him not to go to Spurs. I could warn him about <laughs> a few other things in his life and hopefully he could have gone on to realise his potential because his potential was that he could have been as good as people like uh, Messi and Ronaldo. He could have been spoken about in that, but a few other things got in the way. A few other decisions he made along the way didn't help. Um, but, yeah, what a footballer. And as a young man, what a what a classic, what a, what a an absolute clown of a man um, in, a, in a good sense, not a, a joke, not a bad sense. Um, but it's obviously all gone a bit pear-shaped for him since. Yeah, I mean, look, Anyone who's a football fan or follows English football knows the name. Um, wonderful footballer. Uh, yeah, look, it's been sad to see what's going on, but that would be a good dinner, no doubt. I think you'd have some good stories come out of that one. And a, maybe a bit of a vanilla question, but let's say the season's going to restart June 8th. We're all going to be tuning in, no doubt. Who's finishing in the top four in season 1920? <sighs> I think Liverpool chance. Um... <laughs> Manchester City, obviously. Um, yep. Yeah, I think Leicester have got enough. Just what, they got eight points between themselves and fifth. And that last spot, yeah, the, the Bruno factor. Um, you, It's even money with you and Chelsea. I can't see Wolves or Sheffield United overcoming that. Wolves a better chance than Sheffield United and, and Spurs too far back in Arsenal. Um, a joke, yeah, it was five points to us and Arsenal, not, and it's ten points to Newcastle and Manchester United. But I'll I'll say Chelsea will hang on to fourth because this break will actually do them good because their young players were running on, on fumes by the time the, the league stopped and this may prove a bit of a blessing in disguise. So I'll go, it'll end the way it is right now, but you guys are a massive shot, obviously. I wouldn't be doing my job if I didn't try to change your mind. So let's see if I'm quite the salesman that I think I am. Hmm. With what you've said, taken into account, yep, uh, Chelsea, definitely a young side. United are fielding the youngest side in the Premier League over the duration of the season. Also, Paul Pogba due to return to fitness and Marcus Rashford due to return to fitness. So that's our best player and our highest goal scorer. Have I, have I sold the pitch to you? Do you not see that Manchester United side, a Pogba, Bruno Fernandes midfield, Rashford returning, that's not enough for you to say United finishing fourth? No, because I, I think Paul Pogba isn't your best player. And I think he's... I won't say over... I don't like saying players are overrated, but I don't think... I don't hold him in the esteem many others do even though he has won the things he has won in his career. But um, I think we'll just have to agree to disagree here, and I'll stick with my uh, prediction of Chelsea. Fair enough. I have to I have to pull you up on this one. Uh, you just said <laughs> Pogba's not Manchester United's best player. I couldn't leave that without questioning it. So who is? <laughs> the guy you signed in, in January. <laughs> He's Bruno a wizard. Fernandes. Yeah. Okay. I think that might have to be a podcast for me and Tom to debate. <laughs> um, Adam, look, mate. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thanks for joining us. I'd um, love to have you on again. So hopefully yeah. maybe as the season's approaching, maybe we can hop and get you on in again. And maybe we can discuss Newcastle pushing for the top four. Who knows? All good. Yeah. Sounds good. Very good. Guys, hope you've enjoyed this listen with Adam Peake or Fox. 
um, look, give us a uh, give us a review, give us a five star, let us know what you think. At the end of the day, we're just trying to get content out there for you, and hopefully, we can keep things going. And another episode down means we're a closer, a step closer to football. Cheers.